Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. My name is Charles Ree, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast. Uh, today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And today we're talking about using technology to re reimagine the primary care experience. And joining me to, uh, today to discuss the topic is Dr. Scott Shreve, co-founder and CEO of Crossover Health. Scott is an emergency medicine physician by training and has spent his career actively building life science technologies that improve the delivery of care and enhance the quality of life. Prior to crossover, Scott was the co-founder of MedSphere Systems Corp, the first open source EHR, as well as a founding member of the Health 2.0 technology and reform movement. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Charles, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, you know, we, we wanna talk about primary care and, and, and you know, all, all the great things that are occurring right now in the market, but maybe to start, I think most listeners will probably share a similar experience of, you know, what it's like to go see their primary care doc, uh, you know, for their annual checkup, you know, sitting around in waiting rooms, you know, getting pushed into a small exam room and then being seen for maybe five, 10 minutes being, uh, and then being kind of sent off. So, you know, maybe from your standpoint, you know, what isn't working right with primary care as it's traditionally practiced today? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and, and what's 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 awesome about it is everyone has an experience. Everyone's got something to say because we've all experienced the healthcare system. I got to experience it, you know, at 10x speed because I'm an emergency medicine physician. So that is even one more level challenging than the traditional primary care office experience. But you know, what I learned there was, you know, because we didn't have a good safety net, we didn't have primary care that was accessible, convenient to get to, and and and, and affordable that you know, a lot of people would end up in the emergency department. And I think if, if we were to look at primary care, you, know, you, you can go back to all the different root causes. I think you know, even from the very beginning of med school, you know, you're always kind of taught about how great the medical technology is and getting into all these specialties and primary care doesn't receive as much payment. People undervalue prevention generally. And, uh, and so we kind of wait till things kind of fester up and, and aren't taken care of in the right way. Um, you have whole socioeconomic lifestyle, behavioral, social issues that affect people's health. And, you know, I just think um, that when you start adding all these things up and then the big dropper for me is, is how primary care is paid for. And uh, because the way our billing system works and the way that fee for service has evolved, you, you have the result of that. And that's these short visits, you know, you're very abbreviated, you know, single condition um, uh, interactions with the provider. Uh, you don't have much prevention. In fact, there's not a code for keeping people healthy. And so all these things have evolved as a natural consequence of how we pay for it and what we expect from primary care. So I think, and you see that all over the place. And again, I got a few, I felt like I had a unique view as an emergency medicine physician, seeing where primary care really didn't work uh, when it all came down to it. So that's kind of my synopsis. And, and again, I know everyone shares that view and they, they've had their own experiences, but those are some of the, the root causes. 
Yeah, and and so not surprising then, right? We've seen a number of attempts over the years to improve the primary care experience, and and more recently, you know, companies like Crossover uh, and others like One Medical and you know Oak Street yep. Health, you know, they appear to be gaining uh, the mind share among consumers and. and uh, investors as well. You know, what is it that these new models, uh, primary care, do uh, that's different than you know what what people normally expect? Yeah, well, you know, I love the innovation, and we need it. We need all comers, all stripes, sizes, shapes of innovation. You know, different segments, uh, different uh, payment models, all these different things all need to be brought together because we need to figure out what's going to work. But I do think what's caught in the attention of you know, certainly uh, the members uh, or the users of these uh, services is that they are very focused on specific needs of the populations they serve. Uh, if we take one medical as example, they were one of the first and pioneers in offering a membership. They had to create a separate thing on top of the existing system to make it palatable, to make it more engaging, to make it useful and, and, and valuable to the members. And they've done a great job of growing that business in that segment and raising the profile of what primary care could be. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you, you have folks like Oak Street, which uh, you know in the Medicare Advantage space, which I think over the last 15 years, that whole segment has done a great job of educating the market of why primary care is valuable. You can take these very sick, very high cost, challenging patients, wrap them around in a primary care focused model that goes beyond just medical care. You're getting into you know, delivering meals to homes, delivering medications, uh, social activities, other things that are purpose-built to serve that population. And, uh, and of course, in their model, they go at risk. And so crossover, it represents yet another kind of ev evolution and innovation in that we have focused exclusively in the payer space, and, or excuse me, the employer space. And we are working with large self-insured employers who have employees that they're paying for and they'd like to get as much value as possible. And in, in that, we kind of sit between this great concierge membership-based experience, and then we also deliver these accountable uh, results around cost, quality, and the experience. And so it's this kind of nice continuum from no risk to full risk that along that continuum, you're gonna see a lot of different innovative models. In addition to that, each of these models seems to appeal to a different segment. Uh, everything from, you know, we are focused on the employers, there's some that are focused just on retail, some that are focused on Medicare, Medicaid populations, some are focused on the LBGTQ population. And so I do think you're going to see a wellspring of all these innovations. And what I love about that is we're in an era where technology is taking its appropriate role as an enabler of the care service, as an extension of the provider. I personally don't subscribe to the theory that the tech will replace the doctor but I certainly believe it will augment the doctor and really increase their capabilities, not just the doctor, but the whole care team. So what I think you're seeing in the market, Charles, is a response to those challenges I first laid out. You're seeing models that now have worked their way around fee-for-service, that have worked their way around limitations in how people can use technology uh, and how the care models actually work. And so I welcome all these. You know, we hope to be carving out our own little path in there. But uh, I think that's what's generated all this innovation, which is more than welcome and absolutely needed. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I, maybe let's 
you know, talk more specifically about crossover. Uh, you know, you, you kind of touched on a little bit there, maybe give us a little bit more of an overview of the business and how, you know, and a little bit more details on, on you know, how your model differs uh, from competitors or how the model yeah. itself works. Yeah. So what we'd like to say is crossover is really trying to create a new category, which we call primary health membership. And what we mean by that, we can kind of break those terms down. So first of all, at, a, at our very core, we believe very strongly in primary care and a psychosocial uh, behavioral model of care. And, and, and so again, if you go back to that biopsychosocial model, it's addressing all the needs. It's a comprehensive uh, approach to care. And so because of that, we focus on prevention, uh, wellness, as well as the actual care. Now we call it primary health because we move beyond just the primary care physician and the nurse. We also include in our model physical medicine, behavioral health, health coaching, and care navigation. And the reason we include you know, all of those services is that's where the need is. Musculoskeletal is, has always been a number one or two spend for the employers. And now we're seeing the emergence or re, uh, surging of you know, mental health services. You know, COVID just exacerbated that and that's been our fastest growing service line. We also are finding that health coaching is incredibly valuable. And the reason why we care about health coaching is we're trying to lead to behavior change. Health coaching was traditionally thought of as like a nutrition, diet, diet, lost weight kind of thing. We view health coaching as a much broader, impactful scope when you can get to help people make the behavior change that are so hard and at the root of most medical care and spend. And then finally, we embedded the care navigators into this primary health model because if you care about total cost of care, then you certainly should care that 85% of the spending is actually happening outside of the walls of primary care. That's not where the expense is. The expense is out in the secondary care system. And a lot of that is just the coordination, the navigation and getting people to the right places. So primary health is really descriptive of that comprehensive, integrated, coordinated team of people that are taking care of you. And that crossover, you don't just get you know, a, a random doctor or provider every time you have an issue. It's that same care team. You're building a relationship and it's really the currency uh, that we, what we uh, transact in is, is trust. And we really want to build trusted relationships over time. Now, the reason we use the word membership as well is membership implies that you belong to something. This isn't some transactional, I'm in and out, I'm gone. This is something where someone's got your back. You're developing a relationship with someone and a care team because they're gonna take longitudinal care of you. And so that's why Crossover isn't just there for sick care. We do a fabulous job of that. We're also there just for your health. So we engage people proactively in screenings, prevention, social determinants of health. And we have a rich set of programming that allows our members to you know, learn about all these different issues from the experts that are also their providers. And so we really create a community, a way to engage the members in their own health and set their own strategies for the year. Now, membership has two swords. One of that is obviously to the, the, to the patients who are, we call members, but also the employers who inv are involved in these models really feel the same way. They feel like they belong to something too. And in fact, they do it. They belong to a connected system of care that spans all 50 states and so forth. And so there's a lot of value between the clients who join Crossover who are sharing knowledge and experiences between each other. So primary health membership is the category, but at the root of that is just basic, good, fundamental blocking and tackling primary care based on trust. And that makes a lot of sense. Maybe talk then about 
how you enable that. You talked before where you view technology as an enabler to deliver service, not to replace the physician. Talk yeah. about the, the role of technology then uh, with Crossover in, in delivering your services. Yeah, absolutely. And th this is fundamental and foundational to, I think, these next generation care models is we view technology as, as just as you said, Charles, as an enabler and an extender and a coordinator and an integrator of what the care team actually does. So let me kind of break some of that down. So um, we use a third party electronic health record as our base kind of layer for documentation and some of the things that we need to do to submit claims to insurance companies. We don't bill them, but we do submit claims for a complete record. But everything we do to engage the member is software that we have written ourselves. And this is how you sign up, how you schedule, how you message, how you ask for refills, how you get surveyed, how you pay your bills. All of that is a technology layer that we built because we felt we had to be connected to the member. That was a huge part of the way we engage them and, and stay connected with them. But again, it's not just the connection that's important. We also need a lot of intelligence about each member to add value to the care. So in partnership with our employers, we get access to claims data. And with that claims data, we put that into our enterprise data warehouse. We apply all the rules and logistics to that and outspits what we call the care insights. Those insights are pumped right to our care teams who are accountable for the outcomes of the patients that they are responsible for. And then they share those information and insights directly with the patients through that same connection that we already had. So that technology stack and that ability to do that is typically not available to the primary care uh, teams because they don't have access to the data. They haven't been able to invest in these enterprise data warehouses or set up the intelligence uh, generators. And, and that's really challenging. And so now the other part about that tech is not only are we connected to the members, but our care teams are connected to each other as well. And so that's really important because our care model relies on a care team. So how you do these handoffs, how you make sure that people are being followed up on, how you track and trend the population you're responsible for. So when our providers show up in the morning and they have their huddles, they are reviewing their caseloads for the day. But more important than who's coming in or who we're interacting with that day is who are we not interacting with that day? And that's where the tech really enables my care team to go after the people that they should be interacting with, those who might have care gaps, those who might have needs or follow-ups that are necessary to keep them engaged. And I think that's really the role of technology to be a fascinating you know, extender or a, uh, it's a force multiplier of how we provide the care. And you made an interesting point there. I mean, in some ways you, you talked before, uh, you know, going beyond sick care. Um, you know, what you're describing though, in many ways, when we're looking at patients who are not seeing, uh, it sounds like there's an element of being proactive uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Reaching out this, to the patients. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is my biggest thing that I want people to understand about these models, right? We're not sitting around waiting to see who shows up and is sick, right? What we're doing is we're really a health monitoring service for the population. So when we go into one of our clients, everyone who's eligible for the service and with the patient's permission, we'll monitor the health of that population. So Charles, if you were one of our patients, I would be able to tell you where you stand on over 40 different clinical metrics. And if you were out of, of uh, balance on any of those, with your permission, which I already got as you signed up for the service, I would be reaching out to you to say, hey, Charles, let's follow up on these two things. And normally when you get that call from the insurance company you have no relationship with, you're like, who are you and how do you know this? And I'm not talking to you, click, right? Or, or message wise. Um, in our case, it's like, oh, this is my care team who's, who's, who's doing what I asked them to do to follow up with me. 
And so this is, becomes this proactive care. We're actively closing down all these gaps, helping people set a strategy for the year. And what ends up happening is, is, is for the first time ever, our employers are starting to see, oh, you're actually monitoring the health of my population. And, 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 and what's gonna happen is over time, as people continue to get more and more instrumented up, they're wearing their watches, their Fitbits, whatever they have, their sleep things, their beds, you know, you know, tell me how well they slept, they're stepping on the scale every day, all these different things are just information that's being gathered and where should it go? And what we're saying is it should come back to that trusted medical group. You know, the doctor doesn't need to know that you took 10,000 steps today, but your health coach might. And so someone on your care team is gonna be following up with you. And so this idea of active, health monitoring of populations is really what we do. And again, this is why, you know, the virtual care models 1.0, I think have limitations because you're not connected with them. There's no ongoing relationship. Who's going to track and trend with you. And that's what crossover signing up for. And that's why we think these models, these primary health membership concepts are really so powerful. It's really how we think healthcare should be. I mean, and I mean, it seems to me, right. I mean, this is what, the technology, what technology can enable in healthcare. Uh, you know, I, I think most providers would say we would love to be able to be more proactive in delivering care, but you know, th there were yeah, limitations uh, in, in the ability to do it. Absolutely. I mean, listen, if, if your business model requires you to see 35 patients in seven minute increments, you cannot be proactive. There's no thoughtfulness in a model like that versus you're responsible for the same number of people but now you're like, hey, who do I need to see today? And, and can I be doing, and I have a care team now that can be interacting with patients so I get rid of the things that don't. Remember, I'm coming from an emergency medicine viewpoint, which is 70% of these people don't need to be here today, right? Like, like let's make sure we get them taken care of. And, and from a primary care perspective, who is here today that I can take care of because there certainly are urgent needs, but who is not here today that I should be taken care of? And that's really the flip in mentality that starts all the way back to how you get paid. Because if I'm not paid to do any prevention, then I'm not doing any prevention. You know, it's like the dentist who hands out candy, right? We've been doing that for years. Like you, 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 you don't, you know, I, I don't want to be generating bills that way. I want to be responsible for outcomes, not for activity. So what we say is reward achievement, not activity. And, and that's where I think these models move. And technology allows you to be proactive. If I didn't have that data, I'm just flying blind, but with that data, I know that I've got 32 diabetics that I need to be keeping close track of. I have technology that does that, and I have a care team set up that my nurse is reaching out to them, and then also my health coach is involved in the behavior change that's needed, because at the end of the day, if my patients could do most of the things, you know, we might wipe out another 30 to 40% of the situations that they have just because they're taking accountability for themselves. Yeah. And, and you talked about being, you know, being paid for outcomes and not activity. Um, you know, it, it kind of brings to mind, you know, the model that you often talk about, um, you know, commercial advantage. You yes. know, maybe kind of talk about that a little bit. And yeah, uh, yeah I think it's a, I think it's a great term. And, and, and I'll, I'll set the stage this way. So, you know, over the last 20 years, everyone has seen, you know, people are very worried about Medicare spending and all this stuff. We've talked about value-based contracting, all these different things. And over the last 15 years, we've started to have a nice body of evidence that starts to show that a lot of the models around Medicare Advantage are starting to have some, some outcome results and some impact. And I think you're starting to see some public entities, uh, Oak Street being one, and there's several others that are, are like them that are, are close behind. But what they're doing is they're saying, listen, 
I can take the sickest, most challenging patients. I'm going to surround them with a care model. And that care model is fine-tuned to their needs, which is polypharmacy, multiple admissions to the hospital, you know, issues at home and access and all these things. I'm going to fix all those problems. But I'm not going to fix them in a medical way. I'm going to look at them holistically. and I'm going to send a driver to your house to get your blood pressure because I know if I do that, you're not going to show up in the ER. And they can just do the math and see where they say that. So they purpose build these things and they get great outcomes. And so Medicare Advantage now has about 35% of all Medicare patients are enrolled in one of those plans, which is fantastic. And as we looked at that, we said, wow, listen, here's a prototype of what we're trying to do in the commercial space. So I work with self-insured employers, which by definition implies people who are probably age 20 to 65. These are people generally healthy enough to work. And so I have a different population. And sometimes we get criticized for that, but I'm like, hey, we can't boil the ocean. We're going to take care of this segment and we're going to do a great job. But what we do is we say for this group, let's purpose build our services, our care, our care models, our technology to serve their needs. And when you do that, and then simultaneously, let's get paid a different way. And then let's get uh, rewarded for the outcomes we achieve. Let's create a commercial advantage plan for our employers. And so that's what we really love about this is we, we deliver concierge level experience, a whole range of services, we get high engagement, and then we're accountable for the outcomes. And that creates this commercial advantage for the employers who are paying for the care. We like that term because people generally can kind of get it. They understand that we take some forms of risk. We're not all the way at total risk and we're not all the way at fee for service. We're somewhere in the middle, which provides some nice segmentation. But I do think the employers who want value-based care they want great access, they want great outcomes, and they want a great experience. We can deliver that. That's what we do, and we do it at scale. And, you know, maybe, maybe talk about then the growth you've seen. I mean, I guess in, in, in another way to frame it is, you know, what, what percent of the market is ready for this kind of yeah. healthcare delivery? I, I think you're, you're hitting on something because not everyone is ready for this. Um, you know, much to our chagrin, some people just want to solve the problem of access. Like, hey, What's quick, easy, convenient, let's get a solution in place and I'm, I'm good, I'm good till next year. And we find that those aren't really our clients, right? Our clients are people that are fed up with that and they want something more organized, they want more accountability and they really wanna go deep and they've realized that you can't impact healthcare costs if you don't change healthcare delivery. And so what we're seeing the growth is coming from is a group of employers we call health activist employers. These are people that are paying a growing, ever and growing amount of money each year to healthcare. They don't feel like they're getting value and they're willing to put in the time and effort to fix it. And when I say time and effort, what I mean is they're willing to dive in and to directly contract with a group, a medical group is going to come in and start to change the healthcare delivery. They have to set up the outcomes that they're expecting and to pay for them in a different way. Sometimes they have to pay for facilities to have the services delivered in or to offer them virtually. So there's work on the side of the uh, human resource leader and the company to make this decision. But when they go direct, they can actually get this. And so what we're seeing is, you know, once you're about 2,500 people and you're self-insured, you're feeling the pain of this and you're, you're starting to be motivated. And so a lot of the bigger companies who are self-insured, they're like, let's spend, this is so getting out of control. It's impacting our bottom line. Let's go after this. And what's so funny or interesting, Charles, is, the companies we work with, they are innovators in their own field. They know how to manage supply chains and to drive the cost and to deliver great products. 
And they're just turning their sights to healthcare saying, you know what, I'm not going to tolerate an eight to 10 to 12% increase in my healthcare costs every year, year after year after year. I'm going to get after it and figure this out. And they're starting to really get involved with direct contracting and expecting more and putting the onus on providers like Crossover, deliver these results. I'm happy to pay you differently and separately, but I expect results. And I think you're going to see more and more of that over the years. And so there's just a growing momentum of employers who are looking for these models. And then our job is to make it really simple to acquire and to implement. And it used to be that it would take you six to nine to 12 months to build out a facility. Well, we can do that now in four to five months. And it also used to take us that length of time, but now I can turn people on to the virtual service in a matter of two to four weeks and get people up and running right away and get this kind of care going. And so we've really tried to compress those timelines, but we've seen the growth. I think you've seen it in our numbers and some of our announcements. Uh, and it's a, it's a great time to be in the segment as people have really recognized that primary care. It's like, it's like Justin's song, you know, bringing sexy back, you know, it's all the rage now crossover health, primary care. <laughs> people think it's great again. So I love it. You know, you talked about uh, these larger companies becoming more like these healthcare activists. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously more recently we, we've had an example, you know, Amazon, Berkshire, JP Morgan, you know, trying to really take that next step and, and then eventually kind of pulling back here, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe, you know, what were the challenges you think they probably faced as they kind of looked at this healthcare issue? Well, here's, here's the thing. And, and again, you know, cause we see these big announcements. I mean, you think about that, that partnership with these three mega companies, all incredible innovators. I just think it speaks to how hard this is. It is not easy. It is no joke. You've got to be committed. You've got to be long-term. And I think as you try to bring three different visions together, I think they found that that was challenging. But, you know, I applaud the effort. Listen, you know, people might, you know, you know point to that and say that was a failure. I would say, you know what, that was an awesome effort. We need 50 more of those and then we'll finally get it. So I, I applaud the effort. But I do think it's extremely challenging. You have to be extremely committed. And at the end of the day, you got to be willing to put your money where your mouth is. And what I mean by that is that if you really believe in a new health system, if you really want value-based care, then you've got to pay for a foundation of primary health in a different way. And you've got to go after the network and you've got to spend money in your network in an effective way. And at the end of the day, you've got to play the long game with helping people change their behaviors. Because at the end of the day, 70% of what we're talking about is chronic conditions that are self, you know, that, that, that could be altered by uh, mo you know, behavioral modification. And so I think not every employer wants to do that. I mean, they're busy. They, they're competing, competing for their lives and their own markets and their own business, and then to turn and spend a lot of time on healthcare. But I can tell you that those who make that investment, the yield, not only on the direct healthcare cost savings, but in the productivity, in the uh, reputation, and the differentiation of that company is significant as it becomes a part of their culture. You made an interesting, you made an interesting comment just now, you know, uh, being able to tackle the network. Uh, it kind of speaks really to the, you know, the systemic nature of how our healthcare system is set up, right? It's really set up for specialist care um, and referrals into a specialist, you know, network uh, where to your point before, like most of the cost actually is. That's so, you know, if we think about the market for primary care, what do, you, what do you think it looks like in five years? And you know, how, how do we change then that structure that incentivizes health versus... Uh, you yeah. Know, well, the first thing, you know, you got a problem where there's not a single code that I can bill when someone's healthy. Zero. <laughs> so what do you do? I just take care of sickness all day. Well, 
you know, I'm not a technician, right? I should be a thoughtful strategist for the patients I work with. And I think a much better analogy than our, our current kind of sick care model is the financial services model. If you think about asset management, that you partner with someone who sits down, reviews your assets, you make a plan, you prepare, you make investments, and someone keeps you accountable for those outcomes, I think your health is your, is your most important asset. And without that asset, none of the other assets matter. But let's take an asset approach to health. So let's think about your health. So where are you, Charles, in your baseline health? What should you be investing in this year? Where are you trying to go and grow your health? And how can we increase it over time? And who's keeping you accountable? And much like in, you know, putting money away for your IRA or future, this is that kind of a mentality. How do I convince someone who doesn't have a need today that they should be making some investments? And so this is where I think this really needs to go is that, is that you start thinking about your, your health in terms of your wealth, like it, it, manage it like an asset. So get involved with people who can help you set a baseline, be involved in programming that actually makes some investments in, in some decisions that you're doing, and then stay connected with an advisor who can help you keep accountable. And I, I, I really think that's where this is going. So I don't know if that answered the question, but I just think that paradigm shift is, is really, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's the whole reason for Health 2.0 to exist. Health.1.0 is all based around the provider. It's very uh, reactive. Um, I get paid for doing things. And I think healthcare 2.0 needs to all be about, you know, it's really about the member. It's about proactive care. It's, a, it's about staying in front of these things and it's getting paid for outcomes. And so you can see that shift and, and people want to pay for that people want to try to strive for that kind of model and move to something new. And I just think you're seeing employers, payers, and others moving towards these models. And I think there's enough of us that are out there doing this that I think you can see a pretty big trend, which, is, which I think speaks to the investments and investor community really paying attention to this area. Uh, you know, what you're, what you're speaking of, you know, sounds very much like, you know, uh, you know value-based care, right? Value-based care <laughs> models. And, uh, and, and to that point, right? Yeah, we're seeing this trend, but it, you know, you would think it'd be moving much faster than it is. And, and clearly, you know, I, I think, you know, for many providers though, you know, the, it seems like a, it's, it's a hard transition for them, right? They, they got one foot in the fee-for-service world. You know, they got some, some payers trying to come at them with value-based models. You know, I, well, let, let I me want to tell keep you, healthy, but I also got to keep the lights on, right? Yeah. Uh, well, here, here's the bottom line. You, you know, I think you have family members who are in medicine, but Again, I'm, a, I'm an ER doctor. I'm taught to hypertask, right? Which is mean I can do 10 things at once. But, but when you think about a, a, phys, a provider who's in his office, he's got 50 different health plans. He or she has no idea who's on which health plan. They just walk in the room and take care of whatever's there. They're not treating them any differently. So the fact that they're in some value-based plan, I think is a joke. And so what, what we do is you got to be 100% all in on this stuff. And, and what I like is the idea that our providers have made a choice, it's a career decision, they join us, we employ everyone in the company, it's a culture of care, it's an approach, and everyone we take care of is in that model. I'm not dealing with multiple different models, I treat different people different ways, and it's just so easy. You know, there's a great phrase by Stephen Pressfield, you know, he talked about uh, turning pro. When you turn pro, your life gets easy. When my providers aren't worrying about billing 55 different codes for everything, they're just focused on the member, that there's one payment model, it's all consistent. Now, I also recognize that that's a little bit of a fantasy where one of the things that I like about where we started with the employers is it was like a safe harbor of innovation. 
I didn't have any rules of insurance. I didn't have any other problems. I could just go in and innovate and get the model. Now that we're at scale, we're starting to go back to the payers and say, hey, you've been talking about value-based care for a long time. We're actually doing it and you can pay us in a different way and we will produce the outcomes you want. And so that's why, again, using the language of commercial advantage, a lot of these payers have had a lot of success with Medicare Advantage and now they just want to apply it to the commercial space. And so I do think value-based care is hard. It's not so easy. And I think you can't be fractured and trying to do four different things at once. There's no accountability. And so this is why we love, we, we use a phrase in our company, designated care team for a defined population. All the providers know what the game is. They know how to play together. They're going to work together to take care of this defined set of people. They get to know them over time, build a relationship, and they know they're accountable for those people. That's how we're going to get there. Um, you can't be, have no accountability. You can't be in the buffet line every night and expecting to lose weight. You know, that's just not how it works. You, you got to have some direction and some management. This goes back to my other point, Charles, is that you cannot control healthcare costs unless you can control healthcare delivery. The way we tried to do that in the 90s, if you remember, was this capitation model, which had a lot of good elements to it, but it was the compulsion aspect of it that limited it. Now with technology, 25 years later, I can make you feel like, well, you are in control, but I can now add technology to provide the recommendations and the guidance that feels complementary as opposed to compulsory. And that's really where I think this goes. Because when our care navigators are steering you, you can still go to any doctor you want. But chances are you don't know all 10 cardiologists and you're going to take our recommendation 95% of the time and we're going to send you to the two value-based people. And remember, value is not cheap. It is not price. Value is the outcome you get for the price you pay. And that equation is really important because the numerator and the denominator both have to play together to get you what you want. And so we are value focused and we'll get you to the right people. But I think you can see how all the parts of the model, it's just not, you don't just show up and say, hey, I like value-based care and it happens. It is blood, sweat, and tears to make this thing come together. But when it does, it is beautiful. And, and you, you, you talk often, you know, we've talked often about care teams and, you know, yeah. coordinated care here. So where do you see the, the role of the doctor then in, in the future, right? You know, yeah, great, great question. Um, so I was a quarterback in uh, college, and so I got experience what that's like. And what I realized is while the quarterback gets a lot of the recognition and the acc accolades and so forth, he is worthless without his linemen. He's worthless without his receivers and his kicker and the punter and everyone else on the team. And so I do think the, the physician has a unique role to play as the healthcare strategist. They should be setting the strategy for the, every individual patient. They should be setting the strategy for the care team and how they're managing the population. However, that quarterback needs a lineman, needs a receiver, needs a running back, needs a punter, needs a kicker. And that team needs to come together to work. And as you know, from team sports, you can have a superstar quarterback and a really crappy team, and you can have an average team that is just exceptional. And I think the team-based care is, is a phenomenal approach to delivering outcomes for the members. Here's a little secret that you wouldn't know unless you're on the inside. It is also phenomenal for the providers. They love to practice in a team-based environment. They love to learn from each other. They love being accountable if you give them the tools to actually impact the outcome. So we have enjoyed very high retention. We've enjoyed a lot of great collaboration between the team members and a lot of satisfaction because they do work in care teams together trying to achieve a very targeted goal. That's great. And, uh, you know, I wanted to maybe round it out here with a last question on and sort of the outlook. Um, 
obviously a lot of excitement here. Uh, you know, it sounds like Crossover is doing great and, and there's a lot of innovation happening in the market. Yeah. You know, do you think the, is, does, is the market ready for all this innovation? You know, do, is, is there enough capacity, yeah. do you think, to support all these types of uh, yeah. new, new models emerging? Yeah, well, well, a couple of things. First of all, I just thank you for the, the nice comments. You know, as an entrepreneur and founder, you kind of feel like you're walking through the desert for 10 years. And then finally, there's a little drink of water at the Oasis. And we're finally getting to that Oasis moment, if you will, for our own company, which is great. But I, I also think that, you know, with all the innovation, which is fantastic. And what I always say is bring it all because we need to solve this is a $4 trillion problem for our country. Um, and, and so we need that innovation. But the innovation, the underside of the innovation is it is incredibly confusing and complicated and so many point solutions and so forth. So now having reached the oasis and the awakening of all the possibilities here, I do think you, you have to get to some kind of great consolidation. We can't have all these 85 different things. Because if you think about it from the employer perspective, you know, they're trying, to, they're trying to weave together and architect this thing. And they've got 82, you know, mental health solutions and 55, you know, musculoskeletals and a bunch of care navigation stuff. Who is going to lasso this stuff together? Who is going to organize this? Who's going to coordinate this? And there's, there's a couple of models out there that are emerging of maybe ways to do that. Maybe you, you organize it around the navigators, right? That's a great place because they're connected to the patients, guiding, steering them. Maybe there's a technology kind of a focus. And so you integrate a lot of these things. And we present a third option, which I think is a little biased, but I think it's the right option. I think you go to the most trusted entity in the system, which I think is the medical group. And I think you make the medical group more capable than it's ever been before. This is where the technology comes in. You arm your providers to the hilt with technology that allows them to be more capable, to force multiply, to have more influence, to have more insight, to have more outreach. You arm that group because they are the most trusted entity. And then you hold them accountable for the outcomes and, and they can organize that. Why isn't the doctor prescribing the digital health solutions that should happen? You know, why isn't that care team accountable for getting these great point solutions to integrate and organize into their own care pathways? That is the solution that we think has the most long-term viability and the most power. So we wanna give the employer segment and, and payers the opportunity to organize around a next generation medical group that is more capable than it's ever been before, leveraging technology to enable a whole new experience and then delivering outsized results. That is what we hope is the answer for the future. And I think with that, that's a perfect ending. So uh, Scott, thanks so much for uh, uh, joining me today. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really look forward to seeing uh, all the progress you guys make uh, going down, in, down the road. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to, to this episode. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.